It doesn't return void, but it accomplishes the exact thing that God sent out to accomplish. And just as the snow blanketed this region this morning, because Isaiah 55 says, just as the snow and the rain come down out of heaven and don't return there. When I got up this morning, there was a blanket across this region as far as I could see. And it was all white. And God's Word says, just like that, His Word comes down out of heaven and accomplishes exactly what He wanted it to accomplish. And so, Father, we declare Your Word this morning over this entire region. May Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Hallelujah! You know, when we're thinking about the Word uh, coming down out of heaven... The disciples said, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. Teach us to be connected to heaven in a way that we know the Father's heart is being released. Teach us to pray in a way that isn't... He said, don't pray like the Pharisees pray with just the same rote words all the time, but let it be the confession of your heart. Let it be the Word of God. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, he said, Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. So that must be that the things of heaven are changing all the time. They're not static. They're not, they're not uh, dead. He said, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, as we forgive those who sin against us, we ourselves are forgiven. Amen? And lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. There is so much in what Jesus wants us to understand. First of all, His is the kingdom of this age, of this world, of this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. In 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9, He said... If I say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sin to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. Jesus said to pray for forgiveness. I don't, some of you may believe once saved, always saved. And when you came under the blood of Jesus and got saved, that all of your sins were just dissolved and weren't there anymore. Well, you were forgiven. You were, uh, at that moment of time, adopted into His kingdom. Adopted, but we still have a sin nature. And, And He is telling us here, if we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. Listen to what the Amplified says. 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners... We delude and lead ourselves astray. And the truth which the gospel presents is not in us and does not dwell in our hearts. So no one 
can say that because I am saved, I have no sin. Because we're born of the Adamic nature, we're of this earth, we have a nature that's being renewed. Amen? Amen. So, the unity in heaven, he said, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus told us to pray. That means that you're given to know what's going on in heaven. He said, let us pray as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. You, when you were born again, when you became His, when you became adopted, you were given the right as a son to know what is going on in heaven. To know what is going on in the very throne rooms of God, in the very places where God dwells in the third heavens. You're given to know. And he, and he says here, um, so the unity of heaven is when we find ourselves in a place in full agreement with what already is happening in heaven. How can it be on earth as it is in heaven if we don't understand what's happening in heaven? God is righteous. He's pure. He's sinless. He's perfect. He's full of love, compassion, mercy, and grace. And if we find ourselves in a place where we just read, where Jesus said, no one is without sin. No one is, and if, and if you think you are, you're only fooling and deceiving yourself. So there must be something going on in heaven in order to be in agreement with it that we need to change our thinking and see what's going on in heaven. Why do we find it so difficult to confess our sin. I don't know about you, but it's not something I love to do every day. Right? We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. We're feeling that disrespect towards the Father. Dishonor. Separation. We feel like, oh my gosh, I just want it to go away. And sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that if I don't speak about it, if I don't continue to think about it, if I don't acknowledge it, it will just go away. That's a lie from the devil. The accuser, one who has a cause or a matter of contention, we know that he is the accuser of the brethren. We know that he fell from heaven, as Kathy was saying just last week. We know that he was uh, the head worshiper. He held a very high place. Uh, He was the reflector of light. We know that he was cast down. We know that he, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that at certain times he has access to heaven, into the very throne room of God, because Job tells us, In Job, uh, he said the sons were summoned to heaven. He was a son at one point. He was one of the beings of heaven. And he was summoned to heaven to give testimony. So we know that at certain times, the devil has access to the very throne room of God. What's he speaking? If it's to be on earth as it is in heaven and the devil has been summoned to stand before God, what is he speaking? He can only speak a lie. 
He can only steal, kill, and destroy. Love is not in him. Mercy is not in him. So if he's standing before the throne room of God speaking lies about who and about what, you see, we have an adversary. We have an adversary and he is the devil and all of the beings that fell out of heaven and were kicked out of heaven our adversary prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes we think, at least I thought for years and years and years, if I go on to the battlefield and I plead the blood of Jesus and I'm dressed according to Ephesians, helmet of salvation, belt of truth around my waist, shield of faith, all of the things that speaks about by the armies, right? that I can go onto the battlefield and I can overcome him. There are times and seasons where that is true. But there are also places where something else has to happen first in order to be victorious. And I'm suggesting to you this morning, when the devil goes before the Father to accuse, he's accusing you and he's accusing me of the things of the of the uh, uh, who one who has cause or matter of contention the accuser the opponent or plaintiff in any lawsuit there's an accusation being made against you you were invited into the very family of God but you're still on this earth being tried being purified being uh, refined to be just like Jesus. Amen? Adversary. In Isaiah 50, the expression uh, Baal Mispat means uh, he who has a judicial cause or a lawsuit against me. Amen? Are you with me? All right. We know that in the end of the age, Satan himself will be thrown down. In Revelations chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ has come. And the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. We haven't experienced that yet. That's shortly to come. So if the devil is standing before the throne sometimes day and night accusing you, you need to understand what he's accusing you of. Jesus said, as I started in a few minutes ago, no one is without sin. He who believes he is without sin deceives himself. So the devil is standing before the throne of God accusing you of the sin that has been placed in your life. Sin, the sin nature, the sin actions the agreements and the places of agreement, picture it as a courtroom. God is uh, typed as three different persons. He is God, as he told Moses, I am the I am. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that created the universe. And he's the one that's still creating. And then there's the Father. The Father. The Father who is full of love and mercy and grace and empowerment. And then there is the judge. 
the judge, who judge who will judge at the end of the age. But he's still the judge today. And so, as judge, the father, the judge, the, the adversary comes before the throne and accuses you. How can there be an agreement between heaven and earth in an accusation? Well, first of all, he's not going to accuse you of something you didn't do. He's not going to accuse your somebody else to say, uh, that's your sin. He roams throughout the earth. He roams. His demons are roaming throughout the earth. He is accusing you of something personal, something that you did. And in this season of time, we're coming up to Passover. This is a season of new beginnings. This is a season of enlightenment. This is a season where God's people are set free. This is a season where people know and understand who they are in God. And some of you may not like to repent, but there's an invitation from heaven right now to come in repentance, to come in agreement with heaven, to come in agreement with what is being spoken about you. Jesus said, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. After you have sinned, and you confess your sin, it says confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. Jesus says this. It says confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. There is something, there are times and seasons where we've gone so far. And we can't go any further until the hidden secrets are taken care of. The hidden places. And I don't know about you, but some of the things in my life were, are terribly embarrassing. And I'm ashamed of them. But a week ago, we came before the throne of God. And we confessed our sins one to another, the leadership of this house. And even though it wasn't a yahoo, it was a very sobering place to be that was full of freedom and weights being taken off. And we saw the courtrooms of heaven and we saw the orchestrations of heaven and how real it was. And how available it was. And the heart of the Father drawing us to that place. Mercy and grace abounding more than you can ever imagine. Satan has no answer after you confess your sin. And there is agreement between heaven and earth. What do you do? You feel condemned. You feel belittled. You feel ashamed. You feel like, oh my gosh, God, is there any hope for me? Is there any way that I can be restored? Is there any way that I can be redeemed? Is there any way possible? The Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, died on the cross, went into the lower parts of hell, struggled there and captivated for three days, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit into the heavenly throne rooms of God. 
He was sin. He took on sin. He took on the things that keep us captive. And He presented Himself in the courtrooms of heaven, alive, in front of all the witnesses. And now, for you and I, nothing stands uh, separate and apart on our way into the throne room of God, separate from the blood. I'm telling you, the blood is still speaking today. The blood is still testifying today. The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross and dripped to this earth where many of us have stood in Israel. Many of us have walked where He walked. Just in the natural, going to visit Israel. You see, the blood of Jesus was priceless because it was sinless. He had no sin. He walked as a perfect man. And so, when we find ourselves in the courtroom of heaven confessing our sins, there is agreement in that moment. There is agreement between heaven and earth. That frees up the Father legally to issue His verdict. And if at that moment in time He issues a verdict, it would have to be guilty. It would have to be guilty of iniquity, of sin of all of the issues we find ourselves under because Jesus said nobody is without sin. And if we stopped at that moment in time, there would be no hope. But you see, the Word tells us that every single person that comes before the throne of grace pleading the blood of Jesus is set free. And the verdict is rendered on your behalf. I want to remind you back in May... Of 2015, I had a dream, uh, 2016, and the dream was about the Ancient of Days. This man was this person, this, I didn't know it at the time, that it represented God. I could see a very old man. I could see a man that was, had long white hair and his hair glistened, glistened in the sunlight. And he was strong. He was mighty. He had a bow in his hand. And the bow was old and wooden. And as he pulled the bow back, it creaked and crackled. And I knew that it took incredible strength, more strength than any human being in the natural could do. And he put an arrow into the bow. And the arrow was old and wooden. And it had a broadhead on it that was shining and silvery. And he pulled the bow back. And he aimed very carefully as it was creaking and creaking. And I looked in the far distance of where he was aiming the bow to and there was a dragon. And as he let the arrow go, the arrow flew through the air, increasing in speed. In the natural, an arrow or a projectile would decrease in speed. But this one increased in all the authority and the power of the one who sent it. And the arrow struck the dragon and caused him to whirl around and he flew off. And it wasn't to be fatal at the time, but it would take some time for the dragon to heal. And then a a little bit later on in Daniel, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garments was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. 
His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before Him. A thousand thousands ministered to Him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. Daniel chapter 7 verse 21. I beheld the same horn made war against the saints. Do you feel like you're in a war? Do you feel the enemy has come to accuse you day and night of the things that you've done? Do you feel like you're in a battle and no matter what you do and no matter what you pray, it doesn't seem to be the breakthrough you're looking for? Do you, do you fast? Do you pray? Do you intercede for others? Do you do all the things that are, you're, you're taught to do, but still there seems to be no relief? Listen to this made war against the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints were to possess the kingdom. There are decrees and decisions being made as we repent. There are places in the courtrooms of heaven as we confess our sins to one another. The, the author of life is there. The King of glory, the King of kings, Jesus is in heaven interceding for you that you would be so bold and daring as to confess your sin. Do you know it takes boldness and courage the devil wants to convince you that it doesn't take courage, doesn't take boldness. He said, come into my throne with boldness. Boldness. And he said, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. If you have a test, you have a testimony. And sometimes the testimony needs to acknowledge these places of sin where we've been in. But then it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Because after you confess your sin, you go before the judge, your honor. God, I am so sorry. I'm asking for your forgiveness and I'm claiming the blood of Jesus upon my life, upon my mind, my heart, all that I am. And when God sees the blood of Jesus, when God sees the blood of Jesus applied to personal lives from an individual claiming that overcoming life, there's no other way into heaven than through the blood of Jesus. There is no other way to salvation than through the blood of Jesus. And so there is a season that we're in right now, and I want to move on a little bit because <clears throat> there is a place where this, we're told about this whole event in the Word. Many, many places I keep telling you, the Word plays out over and over and over again in different places, different seasons of time through different people. 
And this Word is playing out right now in this time through you and I. Esther. The story played out in Esther. Her name was Hadassah that was given to her by her family. But the Word tells us that her mom and dad had passed away and I don't know what happened to them. The Word doesn't tell us. But it tells us that she was raised by Mordecai, who was a cousin. Mordecai was a cousin that raised Hadassah. And something happened in the area of Persia where there there was a king and there was a queen. And the king had a banquet and he asked that the queen come before him with all of her royal splendor. She refused, Vashti. She refused. She didn't want to do what the king required. Long story short, I really want you to read this story in Esther. It's a wonderful story. It's an amazing story. It's where we find ourselves in the day that we're at. Take time out and read it. Take time out and say, Lord, reveal the secrets of heaven to me as this relates to my life. So Vashti was eventually uh, 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 decisions by the king to remove her as the queen. And there was a search throughout all of the land to replace her. And so the, 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 the women were gathered up. They were ministered to for a year. They were bathed. They were uh, incensed, uh, on and on. Eventually, uh, Mordecai wanted Hadassah to be one of the chosen ones. Hadassah was a humble girl. She was beautiful. She agreed with Mordecai and went and presented herself. And as we fast forward the story, she was chosen, except Mordecai changed her name. It wasn't going to be a Jewish name or uh, her, the name of her lineage, the name of her family. You'll see why in a moment. Instead, he named her Esther, like a Persian name. And she went before the king and she got chosen. The king loved her. And she became queen. And I'm missing gigantic parts of the story. Please read it this week. It will minister to you. It will encourage you. So now Esther, Hadassah, is now the queen. The king. And there's this man that comes up. And he's accelerating through the ranks of the government. And he is getting closer and closer to the king, as happens in our natural world. And all of a sudden, so this man's name was Haman. He was a descendant of King Agag, which God told Saul to kill all of the Agites years before. But through the sin of Saul, he didn't do it. He kept some of the sheep and some of the cattle, and he spared the king. And in that moment of time, there were people that got away, and the line of Agag continued. So Haman was from a lineage that hated the Jews. It was was built into his blood, his thinking, the stories that he had heard for years. And now all of a sudden he's getting close to the king. And he goes to the king and he says, O king, 
There are people in your kingdom that don't respect you. They don't honor you. They don't abide by your laws. There are people who have another God. And if the king is willing, I will take care of all of those people by killing them and ridding you of this great uh, atrocity of they, of they just don't... So the king agreed, sealed it with his signet ring, let the uh, decree go out through all of the land of Persia that on a certain day the Jews were going to be killed. Well, Mordecai is out at the gate of the city hearing this. The gate of the city represents where things are going on, governments, decisions are being made, people who come and go are being referenced. It's a place of understanding of what's going on in the city. Mordecai is out there, remember, who had raised Hadassah, Esther, and he hears this. And so he's, he's repenting in sackcloth and ashes and he's, and he's wondering what in the world. So uh, fast forward the story a little bit. Esther finds out that Mordecai is broken. Goes as far as he can into the city to where the king's palace is. And, more, and, and Esther sends one of her servants out. Go find out what's wrong with Mordecai. The servant goes out, finds out what's wrong. And she too understands there's a decree to kill all of the Jews. Now this brings us to an interesting dilemma. Here we have Esther who has hidden her name, Hadassah, her lineage, where she's from, who was she raised by. Esther has a decision to make. Do I reveal the secret? Do I reveal the thing that I have held on to and actually told by Mordecai, you have a new name? But all of the Jews are going to be destroyed. And she starts thinking to herself, this palace at least protects me. My position, at least my position of what I identify with and who I see myself to be. You see, that was a false view of how she looked at herself. And Mordecai sends word back to her in a, in a, in a way of a prophecy and says, don't think that if you remain silent in this day, God will raise up another to deliver the Jews. And you yourself and your father's household will perish. We can't think to ourselves that we have the protection of something of this earth or some secret understanding or some secret revelation that's going to protect us in the day that's coming. Esther was asked to come and bear the truth. And she was afraid, as we all would be. Sometimes when we're dealing with something that needs to be revealed, like sin, we're afraid. What's going to happen if I reveal this? 
What are they going to think about me? What's going to happen to where I'm going and what I'm supposed to be and all the distance that I've made and success and my job and my uh, financial state and my kids and my home? What about all that? Where is that going? And we say to ourselves, no, it's not worth it. I don't want to put that all in jeopardy. I don't want to put that in a place where I backslide and it takes me years, even if I'm able to hold on to my life. But Esther said, go tell Mordecai to pray and fast for three days. I and my servants will do the same. You see, it was a place where she knew that she needed to make a decision, and the decision, whatever it came out to be, was going to affect the rest of her life and the peoples of her generation. And so she decided to pray and fast. And when you fast without food, your soul life tends to get less active. And your spiritual voice tends to be more active. And in that prayer and fasting time, she got the heart of God. And she said, Go tell Mordecai that I will go before the king, but every man under all of this king's reign knows that if you go before the king in the king's court without being summoned, without being called, it's very likely that you would be killed. It's kind of like somebody jumping the fence of the White House, getting into the White House looking for the president. There are people paid to protect him. And they don't ask you, what is it that you want to tell the president? They don't do a survey. They have guns. They have weapons. The same was true in this day. If I go before the court, it's very likely, without being summoned, without being asked, that I will die. And I'm willing to risk that for the behalf of my people and so I can tell the king about the secret that I've been carrying. So Hadassah goes before the king Esther goes before the king, same person. And the king sees her in his courts. And he looks down the halls of his palace and sees her coming. And he says, Esther, what is it that you want? And she said, if it would please the king that you would come to a banquet of mine. And it's that at that banquet that I will reveal my request. The king said, you can have everything up to half of my kingdom. I want you to think about what Jesus says. This is a type and shadow of the things that are going on in heaven. Sometimes we're afraid to go before the king. Jesus is there interceding for us. Jesus is there talking to the judge, your honor. Oh, let them come. When you apply the blood of Jesus, you have free access. So she puts on a banquet, invites Haman, 
because Haman now has gotten to a very powerful position in the king's courts. And he's thinking to himself, boy, I am really important. I, am, I have gone up through this government and now I'm friends with the king. I'm friends with his, the queen. I'm friends with his court. I am a somebody. I'm recognized. And in his uh, pride, the king comes to him and says, if I wanted to honor somebody, how would I do it? And Haman says, oh, king, secretly thinking in his thoughts, I know he wants to honor me. And so he says to the king, choose your best horse. Choose your best robes. Choose your top guy. And go and dress that man in your robes and put him on your horse and have one of your servants lead him through all of the streets of this kingdom declaring, this is who the king has chosen to honor. And because of his pridefulness, he didn't know that he was talking about Mordecai. And he says, go and do as you have said to Mordecai. Well, at the same time, he built a gallows because he was going to hang Mordecai. He hated him. He hated all the Jews. Does it feel like when you pray, things get worse? Does it feel like sometimes when you prayed and fasted, the opposite happens? This story so ministered to my heart. And what these people went through, but by the decree and the decision of the king, he was still in control. He was still having this play out for a purpose and a reason. So, back to the banquet. The king and Mordecai come to the banquet. He's all puffed up in his pride. Haman... And he, in his arrogance, he doesn't see his own sin. He doesn't see his own destruction. He doesn't see what he's doing. All he wants to do is have that day come where he gets to kill all the Jews. And it was by his hand. And so Esther says, O king, if it pleases the king, I have one more request. Come to my banquet tomorrow. So there was a second banquet that she came to. They both show up at the banquet. They're... The Haman is full of pride and arrogance, thinking that some great thing is going to happen to his favor. And Esther and, and the king says to Esther, What is your request? I will grant it up to half of my kingdom. And she said, O king, that my people would not be killed, for I they are my people. You see, she reveals who she was to the king. In front of the king and whoever was around, the secret that she had been dreading, the thing that she had held deep within her heart, because circumstances put it that way, Mordecai told her in the beginning, but you see, God had a plan. And she reveals to the king, these whom you have signed the decree and are going to kill are my people. That put the king in an interesting position. 
understand that in that day, the king was not to marry outside the Persian Empire. Taking a Jew as a wife would have been illegal. That would be like the United States electing an individual who was single. And that individual fell in love with the, with the daughter of the top Taliban leader. Think about it. What kind of news headlines do you think would be placed all over the world? President of the United States marries daughter of Taliban leader. And on and on. The king was forbidden from measure, for marrying outside of the Persian Empire. The king could not legally, and therefore it supposed would not marry a wife, not being of one of the seven great Persian families. The marriage to a Jewess, even uh, if we regard it as a marriage uh, in the fullest sense, would, not, would be illegal in his sense. So now he finds out that his queen, of whom he chose from all the other ladies, is a Jew. And I can only imagine that this king started to think, how am I going to manage this? How am I going to secretly put her away, to secretly do away with her, so my kingdom isn't jeopardized? How am I going to structure the damage control do you feel like sometimes you're in damage control when you're dealing with sin? Oh, don't tell that person. I'm going to tell you because it says to confess my sin to one another, but I'm trusting you won't tell anybody else. Damage control. Right? Damage control. So now the king is thinking to himself, Oh my God. She came before my court. I accepted her. I promised her up to half of my kingdom. And she's the daughter of a Taliban leader. Right? Jew. What am I going to do? This is such an amazing story. This king let love rule his heart. This king even though there was something threatening him, he let love rule. Jesus said there was a... Uh, uh, the, the, Jesus was always being tested and tried. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm close to the end, so bear with me. Jesus was always being tested. And one time a lawyer came to him. So we're talking about the courts of the king. We're talking about the judge. We're talking about sin. We're talking about confession. We're talking about let it be on earth as it is in heaven. This lawyer came to him and said, what is the greatest thing I need to do, say, function under? What did Jesus say?
said, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, everything that you are. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hangs all the laws of the prophets. So now this king is operating out of love. Not damage control. He didn't call his counsel in to figure out what the next steps are. He just says to her, Oh my God. King. Esther. I've done that. I had no idea. I signed that decree. And in those days, when the king signed something, it was irrevocable. You couldn't just pull it back. You couldn't just say, oh, forget about that decree that went into every province of, 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 of the entire kingdom. You couldn't do that. It was irrevocable. Your salvation, your salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus is irrevocable. The blood of Jesus is still speaking today in heaven just as it was speaking on that day. It can't be revoked. It happened. And the Father said, John 3.16, Whoever believes in my Son, whoever believes in the blood of Jesus Christ and applies that and is being brought into the kingdom, that's irrevocable. But I'm not talking about once saved, always saved. And so the king says to Esther, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? She brings Mordecai in. And Mordecai says, Issue a second decree. Issue a second decree. And let it go throughout all the land, saying that the Jews can fight for themselves and save their lives. King says, who did this? And because Haman is there, all puffed up in his righteous self-righteousness, she said, that man. And they said, there's a gallows at his house already built, 75 feet high, 50 cubits. And the king gave order, kill, hang Haman on it and hang his family on it. Remember, he was a descendant of Agag. That the Lord had already passed judgment back in Saul and Samuel's day. The decree of the king went out. They drafted a decree. The king sealed it. The king gave all that Haman had to Mordecai and Esther. You see, this is a comeback and turnaround story that's amazing. This is a story of where we're at in dealing with our sin, in dealing with our iniquity in dealing with the transgressions against heaven. This is a story where your true identity is revealed and the Father is rejoicing over it. This is a story about redemption. This is a story of new beginnings. 
This is a story of acceptance where love rules. This is a story where you get to walk in a greater anointing and in a greater favor of the king. This is a story about you dealing with your self-perception. When we talk about sin, do you have a sin? Oh, oh, it's theirs. You get a word from heaven? Oh, Norm, I just got a word from heaven last night, and I need to talk to you because he told me something about you and your sinning. Well, most of the time, it's you that we need to look in the mirror and see the individual in the mirror and apply the word of heaven and say, God, how does this relate to me? This isn't about norm. It's not about my brother. It's not about (coughs) the speck that he has. It's about the log that I have in my own vision. God, forgive me. I've been so wanting to accuse others to convince myself that at least I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like one of them. And I play the role of the Pharisee. And I play the role of the accuser. All of that's being dealt with in the season that we're at for the purpose of setting us free as a people under the blood and the power and the authority of heaven and the, the courtrooms of heaven. So it's being dealt with in a way so that you can go into the next phase of your life, the next walk of Jesus Christ, of the people of God, so you can possess the courts of your enemies. Proverbs chapter 6. If your enemy has stolen anything from you, When he is caught, he must restore how many fold? One? Two? Seven times. This is so you can walk under the authority of heaven so there is agreement between heaven and earth. And the Father gets to reveal His passion for you. He gets to reveal His mercy He gets to reveal the thoughts that He's had towards you and written in the books of heaven before the foundations of the world who have been stopped because we need to do something. We need to take care of the accusations that are brought before the throne room of God day and night. And we need to answer them. We need to answer them in a truthful, honest approach. And then apply the blood of Jesus Christ so that our sins can be tossed into the sea of forgetfulness and the accusations brought before the throne room of heaven are dissolved and rejected. And then you get to walk in a clean place, renewed, restored, built up, encouraged, You have to read the Word of God. If you're not reading the Word of God, it's critical in the day that we're in that you take time out and read the story of Esther. Read the story of Jesus and the prodigal son. This story is told over and over again through a different place and a different time through a different people. It's confirmed over and over what the courtrooms of heaven are for. They're for you to come into with boldness. Not the arrogance of Haman. The humility. Where you get to say, 
Yes, I agree with my adversary. I have sinned. But I am applying the blood of Jesus before the great judge of heaven and earth. And I'm trusting that he is going to pardon me. And he is going to set me free. And he is going to place me in a new place. And bring the windows of heaven so they're open. So I can walk in a greater capacity to honor him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't our God an amazing God? Isn't He full of compassion and mercy and grace that He would look at our lives and say, boy, they can't really go any further until they deal with this. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them overcome by the blood of my Son. So that they have a testimony and they know that their salvation is not of their own works. Not of their own strength and understanding and self-desire and will. But it's by grace. By the blood of Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Alright, so as I close today, uh, there is a men's gathering at my house on Friday, 6 o'clock. So I hope to see all the men there. And Norm and Chris have a little skit to do very quickly. Well, no, Chris. I'm wondering, why do we pray? Why do we pray for each other? You know, why do we go on?